Please take your seats. Thank you. Thanks, worship team. Let's give them a really big hand. Thank you, guys. You have led us well. We are grateful. Thank you. Good evening. <laughs> it's good to see you all. I'm just going to take my phone out if it rings. You'll have to excuse me. We had an incredible morning today. And I wish you were here if you missed out. <laughs> but still, not to worry, because you can always listen to the podcast or you can always go back on YouTube and listen to that message. Pastor Ben shared uh, part of our series that we're going through in the morning is on portraits of Jesus from Revelation. And he took us into the throne room of God as John was taken up there to have a glimpse of what the throne room of God looked like in the midst of everything else that was happening in the natural that John was involved in. He was shown a glimpse that would explain in graphic detail what it meant to have the God of the universe in total control, even though in the natural it seemed like things were out of control and things were, were difficult and, and hard as a Christian. He was just sh shown a glimpse that God is in absolute total control. And I think that was a word we need to hear because even now things are happening around us and we think it all seems so out of control, so chaotic. We need to be reminded that God of the heaven, God of the universe has an incredible plan and that plan is that he is still in absolute total control. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please, please, please go back and listen to that word. Today we're, we, we're going through the phrase Jesus is and what I would like to talk about this evening is Jesus is obedient. It's something that we don't talk about maybe too much but it's, it came to me really powerfully when I was uh, reading the word a few weeks ago in Hebrews, and I'll just read that passage and then we'll pray. It's taken from Hebrews chapter 5, and I'll read from verses 5 to 10. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Read that again. Jesus, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is powerful, life-giving, and transforming. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to sit under that word this evening. Holy Spirit, I pray that you guide the words of my mouth. And that, Father, you will open our hearts to listen and hear what you have to tell us about your incredible son, Jesus.
and the life he lived and what he has accomplished for us. Father, we are eternally grateful and we are truly, truly thankful for the love, mercy, and kindness you continue to show to us, Father. Bless us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a couple of things in that passage that puzzled me a little bit. First thing was, and I found it puzzling. It wasn't puzzling to my wife. She knows everything. <laughs> but it, you know where it says he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And, it says, and he was heard for his reverent submission. I thought, oh, Jesus prayed, Lord, if you can't take this cup from me, pray to be saved from death. But he did. He was still crucified, right? It's not as though he escaped crucifixion. And so that puzzled me a little bit. But I found an answer to it. The other puzzling thing I found was, it said, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience. Was Jesus disobedient? Why did he have to learn obedience? It was another thing that puzzled me. So I went back and I thought, the obedience of Jesus. What, what does the Bible tell me about how obedient Jesus was? Here he was, Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the one who called the galaxies into being by the authority of his voice, and he illustrates by his own life the need to be under authority of his father. You know, Jesus honors the authority of his father through complete submission and obedience, a very clear but seldom pondered and considered truth of the New Testament is that Christ's entire life and ministry were orchestrated by his Father. Entire life and ministry. And Jesus was careful. He was careful to carry out every detail according to the will of his Father. In Hebrews 10, 5 to 7, it says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Today, we, 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 Pastor Ben talked about the scroll on the hand of Father God. And there was no one found worthy to open the scroll that had the plan God had, has for, for the universe. And it was only the Lamb of God that was slain that, had, that, was, that was found worthy to open the scroll and to say, I am here to carry out the plan, to take on the plan that you have, Father, for the universe. He was completely and totally submitted to the will of his Father. Even his coming to the earth was an act of obedience to his Father. His life and his ministry focused on the will of the Father. In John 14, 30 to 31, he says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. In John 12, 49, it says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. All that Christ did in his life on earth was done according to the scriptures. What God had spoken in the Old Testament was so authoritative. Christ obeyed it completely, completely. 
Matthew 21, 4, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. And 10 or so times in the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus lived exactly as the scriptures predicted in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled. For Christ himself, who was he? The second person of the Trinity. He lived out in minute detail what God had spoken volumes about. And the authority that scripture is to have in our lives was demonstrated by Christ himself. If Christ was careful to do everything his father had, had said in scripture, how much more we? Was there any doubt then that Jesus lived and breathed to obey and do the will of his father? So why did he have to learn obedience through what he suffered? I like to think that that phrase should go, Jesus chose obedience through what he suffered. But we'll see whether you agree with me. But we'll go back one more chapter in Hebrews chapter 4. Because there we have another passage that is incredibly powerful because it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a high priest who is able to empathize and sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was found to be without sin. And people sometimes say, you know, oh, it was God in the form of man. He was still powerful. He had the ability to withstand and resist sin. And so when you go through sin, you think, oh, I'm not like Jesus. I can't, I can't withstand the pressures of temptation and sin, you know. But no, that is not true. Jesus endured temptation in every way as we do. And yet he withstood. He stood strong. He resisted the power and the urge of sin in his life. Tempted in every way as we are. You know, there are four words in that passage that are really powerful. The throne of grace. A throne speaks of authority and power, while grace conveys the idea of sympathy and understanding. And these two thoughts are crucial when they are combined in Jesus. Here is a man of infinite power, yet in complete and utter sympathy with us. He said himself after his resurrection, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And the title here is Jesus, the Son of God, possessing the fullness of deity, yet he was also completely man and completely God. Jesus not only passed into the heavens, but through the heavens. That's what it says. We have a great high priest, Jesus, and he who has ascended into heaven, tempted in every way as we are, ascended into the heavens. 
a high priest who can empathize and sympathize with us. You know, I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 5 again and those verses we started out with where we talked about the fact that it said during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears and he was heard. So I want you to think, how can he sympathize? How does he understand our pressures if he was someone who had never sinned, who has never sinned or who did not uh, endure the full onslaught and, and power of sin? And the answer to that leads us to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because when it talks about, what it talks about in this passage, if you look through scriptures, you will find the reference to that in the Garden of Gethsemane. The dark shadows of that garden. There is no other incident in the Gospels that fits the description of this passage where we read with prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears, he cried unto him who was able to save him from death. As the Lord and his disciples left that upper room after the Passover meal that they celebrated, they passed through the dark valley of the Kidron. They went up onto the side of the, of the Mount of Olives to the olive tree grove where it was his custom to go. And then he separates the three, uh, three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he withdraws with them to a, a deeper part of the garden. And there follows this protracted period of excruciating torment of spirit that found expression in loud, involuntary cries, streaming tears, and ending in a terrible, bloody sweat. Here we come face to face with a mystery. Truly, it is a mystery. And I don't think we talk about this enough. First of all, this is almost like a totally unexpected thing that the Lord Jesus is facing. It's, hard, it's, it's difficult to, to understand that the God of the universe suddenly confronted with something that, that almost throws him. Is that possible? Suddenly, he begins to be greatly distressed and troubled. And nothing like this is recorded of him before. You know, in his anticipation of where he would be going, and, and he has multiple explanations to his disciples of, of what would be coming, he never once mentioned Gethsemane. And furthermore, there is no prediction of this in the Old Testament. There are, there are many, many uh, predictions and, and prophecies about what would happen about the cross, there is not one word of what he endured in the garden. In the midst of his bafflement and the puzzlement, the deep unrest of his heart and the distress of his soul, he does an unusual and amazing thing. For the first time in his ministry, he appeals to his own disciples for help. He says to them, watch with me, pray with me. He asked them to bear him up in prayer as he went further into the shadows, falling first to his knees, then to his face, and crying out before the Father. And there he prayed three separate times, it tells us in Matthew. And each prayer is almost as though he's questioning the necessity of this experience. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was beseeching the Father to make it clear to him whether this was absolutely necessary. 
So unexpected was this. So suddenly had it come upon him. It was baffling. It was confusing. It was bewildering. The sudden experiences and catastrophes that sometimes come upon us can, and that can bewilder us as well. This was something that was, that was unusual. And we see Jesus in the state where he's almost as though he's not in control any longer. But he's just to help us understand the depth of the agony that he is about to experience in the garden. And to deepen the mystery, there is this awful intensity. And the passage in Hebrews clearly implies that the Lord Jesus here is facing the full misery which sin produces in the heart of the sinner while he is yet alive. And we call this the sense of sin. And I think we can even think about this further. I've never heard this before. But a few commentators that I've been reading about have, have described this as, as, the, as the reason for this, this prayer and the torment that Jesus is facing. We often talk about the torment, and, and, uh, and Darren talked about that clearly last week when he, talk, when he was doing the, 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 the offering mess, the message around communion. And he talks about the physical torment that Jesus endured on the cross with, with the whipping and, and all that. And there's so much talked about the physical torment that he went through. But I don't think we understand the minute details of the torment he went through at the Garden of Gethsemane. That was probably even more, I feel, tormenting to, the, to our Lord Jesus than it was the physical pain that he went through. The sense of sin. Something all of us experience. The sense of sin that makes, that, that the, the intensity of which makes uh, sin in our lives seem so defeating, so unshakable. What is the, the sense of sin that I'm talking about? I'm talking about shame. I'm talking, I'm talking about guilt. I'm talking about despair that sometimes we feel as a result of sin in our lives. What is shame? And who among us has not felt it? Shame, that sense of my own defilement and, and awareness of the fact that I am unfit. The fact that causes me to, to condemn and, and, and be in contempt of myself, a loathing of myself. It is not being able to look myself in the face because I have been false to my standards, my ideals. And as Jesus went into the darkness of the garden and fell upon his face, suddenly, for the first time in his experience, he began to feel that sense of shame, I believe. All the naked filth of human depravity forced itself upon him and he felt the burning, searing shame of our misdeeds as though they were his. No wonder he trembled in agony and amazement and sought to flee and he cries to the Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he adds, not my will, but yours be done. And then remember, he comes back to his disciples. He wakes them up with an almost piteous plea. And he says, could you not watch with me one hour? And then goes back again to the shadows. And a greater inward horror comes upon him. And he begins to feel a sense of guilt. What is guilt? Guilt is the sense of injury done to someone else. Guilt is the awareness of damage that I have caused to the innocent or the undeserving. 
the Lord Jesus was born to the ground by born by an overwhelming sense of dark and awful guilt and he felt himself a culprit before God he felt himself a child of wrath eminently deserving judgment and he writhed in silent torment among the olives and Mark tells us he began to pray even more earnestly than before father since this cup cannot pass from me then thy will be done and once again he comes to his disciples and finding them sleepy he goes back he does not awaken them but lets them sleep the shame and the guilt the horror of what sin can do in our lives he's beginning to feel the full effect of that on himself and the third experience of agony was the worst of all and before it began the father did send an angel to him because we read in Luke that an angel came to him to strengthen him this is what is meant by the words he was heard for his godly fear crying out to the father in his deep and desperate need the father answered and sends him an angel to strengthen him sends him an angel to to reiterate and say yes my son you do need to go through this there is no other way it is a cup that must be drunk then the third thing our lord begins to know what it means to despair the iron bands of 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 sin's enslaving power begin to be fully felt and he is crushed under a sense of hopelessness of helpless discouragement utter defeat and his eyes fill with tears his mouth opens and he begins to mutter words without any voice agonizing cries his heart is crushed as in a wine press so that the blood is literally forced from his veins into his sweat and it falls on the ground in great bloody drops and this explains the strange words although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered he learned what it means to obey god when every cell in his body wanted to disobey when everything within him cries out to flee from this experience yet knowing this to be the will of god he obeyed trusting god to see him through he learned what it feels like to hang on when failure makes us want to throw the whole thing away when we are so defeated so utterly despairing so angry with ourselves so filled with shame and self-loathing and guilt that we just want to forget the whole thing he knows what that is like he went the whole way he felt the whole brunt of it you and i will never pass through a getsemane like he went through but he went through that whole distance he went through the whole distance he chose obedience he chose obedience knowing full well what that meant knowing full well the despair and the agony of what he was going through it had to be done and he did not turn his back on that but he went through it because of you and i
having entered into all that any sinner in all his weakness ever knows, being made perfect, it says, being made perfect because he chose to stand in the midst of that powerful entity called sin as it came upon him. He stood his ground. He resisted. And he went through sinless to the cross, became the perfect sacrifice for you and I, the only sacrifice that could take away our sin and the sense of sin in our lives, the despair, the shame, and the guilt. He became that perfect sacrifice that could take all of it on the cross. When we obey him, as he obeyed the Father, then all that God is, is made available to us. Just as in his hour of anguish, all that God is, was made available to him on this principle of trust. I face temptation, you face temptation. But do we resist to that point? where we say, I choose to obey. Hard as it seems, difficult as it seems, or easy as it seems to just fall and give in. Do we choose obedience? Because if we will choose obedience, then it, we are promised that the Father himself will come and strengthen us. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That's what the word of God says. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Stand up under it. But it calls for a choice on your part and my part. A choice where we say no. If my Jesus stood and went through that to the point of shedding his blood through drops in his sweat because that was the extent he was willing to go to, how much have I resisted when temptations have come to me? He absolutely refused to question the Father's wisdom. He absolutely refused to strike back at God, to blame him, to say this is unfair. He took no refuge in unbelief, even though this came suddenly and unexpectedly, in a sense, upon him. Instead, what does he do? He casts himself upon the Father's loving and tender care, and he looked to his Father to sustain him. And when he did, he was brought safely through and was thus perfected for priesthood. That's why we read, so let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. No matter how deep, how serious that need may be, he can fully meet it. Now Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 I love this verse as well. It says, therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on whom? On Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. <laughs> Run with perseverance. This year, that is our prayer for us all as a church, that together we will run with perseverance. We will take a hold of every tool that we are able to set our hands on and with the power of the Holy Spirit be encouraged when we come to church, be be. Be strengthened in our resolve by hearing words of encouragement that tell us we can do it. And you know what? We sometimes need those words. We sometimes need those tools because we need people around us to be able to encourage and strengthen us to, to say, yes, you can do it. This life is not easy. You will face challenges. There are difficulties, but you do not need to fall. We do not need to live a life of discouragement. You do not need to live a life where you are constantly on the back foot, uh, a life where you are constantly second-guessing yourself because you are not living a life that brings glory to God, but rather Think of a life where you are victorious, a life where you make the right choices, the right decisions are taken, and you have a Father in heaven who is standing there cheering you on. You have Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father who is also saying, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you. I'm a mediator, and I'm encouraging, and I'm cheering you on because I want you to succeed. What kind of a, of a church would we be if we have a, a whole group of believers, you and I, growing every single day, moving forward in our relationship with God, moving forward and, and achieving victory after victory over, over circumstances and temptation that Satan brings? What kind of a, of a church would we be? I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, and I'm encouraging myself. There is a weight of things that, that can hold us down, a weight of things that are constantly around us trying to distract us and take us away from the way that God has chosen for you. But we have a high priest. We have a high priest who was tempted in every way as we are and was yet without sin. And he's the one who says, I am cheering you on. I am praying for you. You can do it. If I could do it, you can do it. That is his promise. Can I get you all to stand, please? For those of us that know Jesus as Savior, those of us that have made the decision in our lives to say yes to Jesus. 
there is a huge responsibility because we have been given something that is precious. We have been given the precious gift of life. We have been given the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is there. We have the whole Trinity living within us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit at our disposal. We don't have an excuse to say, no, I can't. You can. You can. I can. We can. We can. But if you're here and you have never made that decision, maybe you made a decision a long time ago and you walked with Jesus and maybe you've just walked away. Things just seem to become too hard or maybe you have never ever made that decision this evening you know Jesus our high priest loves you loves you immensely loves you so much loved you so much he went through that agony and pain and suffering just for you and this evening tonight he says will you come to me I know what burdens are like. I know what pain is like. I know what suffering is like. I know what, what stress is like. I know what difficulties are like. He says, come to me. Put your burdens on me. Put your burden on me. I will carry those burdens for you. You can come into relationship with him tonight. And that relationship with Jesus will change your whole future. It will change your perspective on life. It will change your perspective on the things you are going through and it will give you a life that is filled with peace and joy. Believe me, it's a life that you will not receive from anything else that you can choose to go through. Tonight, you have the opportunity to say yes to that. And I would be privileged to be able to lead you in a prayer that allows you to make that decision. For those of us who know the Lord, my challenge to you, stand firm, stand strong. Don't let Satan drag you down. Don't let him distract you. Don't let him take you away from your rightful place and the rightful future that God has for you. Don't let him. He is, he is wily. He is evil. He is, he, will, he, is, he is described as a roaring lion that is seeking to devour and destroy us. Over the past few weeks, you have heard of many men of God who have fallen. And it breaks my heart to hear about men of God whom we look up to who have fallen. Satan tries to draw you down. He brings you down and he destroys your credibility and he destroys so much of what you have built up. Ministries that have been built up over decades are torn down because of indiscretion and because of the fact that men did not remain faithful to the calling God called them to. It's heartbreaking and sad. We don't want to see that happen to any of us. Jesus went through it. And he stood strong. And he says, you can, I can, we can. Shall we pray?
Heavenly Father, we are in awe, absolute awe of you. For you are a loving Heavenly Father. And dear Jesus, we can't even begin to express our gratitude and our thanks to you for everything you have done for us. That you are our great high priest who went before us. That you were tempted in every way and is yet without sin. And you are able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And we can come boldly to you with whatever we are going through. Through our failures and through the times when we have, we have gone away from you. We can come back to you. And you are able to sympathize with us. And you are able to draw us back into fellowship because of the blood you shed for my sin. Father, I thank you. I thank you. You know, while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, if there's anyone in the, in the service today, if there's anyone who has never made that decision or like I said before, you made that decision a long time ago and you have maybe walked away, you would like to renew that decision tonight, then can I, would you like to just raise your hands, look at me and then put your hands down again. And then I will just pray with you afterwards. Is there anyone this evening who would like to make that decision? Thank you, Lord. Father in heaven, glory to your name. Praise be to the God of heaven and earth. Praise be to the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. Hallelujah. The Lamb that was slain on the cross, who is worthy to open the scroll, who is worthy because you are able to carry out the plans that the God of the universe has for us. And you have chosen us in spite of who we are. You have chosen us to be part of that plan of redemption and plan to bring the kingdom of God on the earth. Father, help us that we may live lives that will glorify you in every possible way and that we may live lives that will cause change and transformation around us. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. I commit my brothers and sisters into your hands. I commit myself into your hands and I pray. Strengthen us. Keep us strong in our walk with you. Keep us strong in the journey we are on that we may run this race and not be entangled, Father, by the sin that so easily besets, but that we may understand we need to set our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. We will not be distracted, but we will keep our eyes focused entirely, entirely on you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.